1: Thank
2: you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts.
0: Buy tickets now for Modern Drummer Festival 2020, streaming on Live by Live, Saturday, September 12th at 8 p.m. Eastern. Catch performances for more than 30 of the world's best drummers, including Chad Smith of Red Hot Chili Peppers, Taylor Hawkins of Foo Fighters, Mike Portnoy, Cindy Blackman-Santana, and many more. Plus, a special tribute to drumming legend Neil Peart. All proceeds benefit brain tumor research at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in honor of Neil Peart. Get your tickets today at livexlive.com slash modern drummer. And tune in September 12th at 8 p.m. Eastern, only on Live by Live.
2: Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. Welcome everybody, it's Eddie Trunk, and it is time for another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, which of course, as you know by now, and certainly should know in all the years I've been doing this, new episodes come your way every single Thursday, and as usual, free at podcastone.com, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, so just search any of those platforms, pop my name in. And you will find this podcast And please, by all means, subscribe. And even though I've been doing this forever now, uh, tell others, spread the word. Always good to find new listeners around the world and hear from you guys. And uh, appreciate you listening and checking it out every week, bringing you great in-depth interviews with some of your favorite rock and metal artists. That's what we do here. And as I tell you every week, the interviews you hear are courtesy of... My Sirius XM radio show, which I hope you listen to if you're in the U.S. or Canada. And you can hear that Monday through Friday live, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Nightly replays 10 to midnight Eastern. And you can also see audio, video, and more on demand on the Sirius XM app. If you're in the U.S. or Canada, please join me for Daily Rock Talk on Trunk Nation on volume. You're only getting a tiny sample of the weekly or the daily broadcast I do on SiriusXM. So please come on board and you will not regret it. And you can call in and interact and all that. Here on the podcast every week, a little sample of some of my recent interviews, just a tiny fraction of the interviews I do every single day on volume. Today, well, I'll tell you what, if this was like 1977, <laughs> This would be the biggest double dip podcast in history. Of course, we didn't have podcasts in 1977, but these are two gargantuan classic rock bands that today I'll be featuring the guitar player from. We start out with JY, James Young from Styx, who spent some time with me recently on my show, Trunk Nation, talking about the re-release of a Sticks album from about 15 years ago called Cyclorama, and also a bunch of other stuff in the world of Sticks. JY was really great in talking about all sorts of things, and uh, we enjoyed that, and I enjoyed that, and I'm sure you will as well. And then coming up second on the podcast, I will be joined by Richard Williams, the guitarist and one of two guys that have been original members of Kansas since day one. The new Kansas record is really, really good. I got to tell you, there, there's a ton of artists that have been around 40, 50 years, better known as classic artists, who are making great new music. I mean, the new Deep Purple album is really, really good. Uh, the new Kansas album is really good. The new Blue Oyster Cult record is really good. I'm going to be talking to Buck Dharma on my Serious XM show uh, this week, actually. Maybe I'll bring that to you as a podcast. Maybe not. I don't know. That's why you got to get Serious XM if you live in the U.S. or Canada. Anyway, point being is it's amazing how many of these artists now in their 70s are still creating and making really good new music. The sad part about it, if we're being honest, is virtually nobody buys it or cares or plays it and you know comes out first week all the super fans who really care and follow things buy it by week two or three it's forgotten classic rock radio doesn't touch new music from the bands that they play the two or three classic hits from a million times a day that you can't take it anymore you're so sick of hearing it but they won't dare touch a new song from those artists. It's really sad because the the artists that are still being relevant and trying to make new music and not just playing their catalog don't stand a fighting chance with new music today. It's really unfortunate. It, it, same with the 80s artists. I mean, the same boat. If you if we're being honest, that's the truth. I mean, they'll come up with, and most artists and or labels will come up with some sort of chart that they can tell you that they were... uh, We went to number 19 on the new music from bands that released albums in 1976 chart. (laughs) But you know what I'm talking about, and I'm not happy about this. It really sucks, and I always try to promote new music from these artists, but it's, uh, you know, an uphill battle until radio gives it a shot, which they just never do. Anyway... It's fun to talk to these guys, especially these guys that are still making records. And Styx made a new record a year or two ago that was in a very ambitious concept album called The Mission. That was also really good. There's really, if you take the time to seek it out, there really is some good new stuff to check out. So we talk about some of that stuff with these guys as well. We'll start with JY from Styx. We'll follow with... Richard Williams from Kansas. Both interviews pretty long. So this is going to be a 2XL-sized <laughs> Eddie Trunk podcast here on this, uh, this latest edition. What else do I need to tell you before we get to the interviews? You know the deal by now. Follow me on Twitter, at Eddie Trunk. Instagram. Fan page on Facebook, all just at my name. EddieTrunk.com is the website. Music News updated there for you all the time. If you'd like to order a personalized video for me or for somebody as a gift, please do so. Search my name on the Cameo website. It's Cameo.com and information on how you can do that is there. I'd prefer it'd be better for you and for me if you order that video on Cameo.com and not through an app on your iPhone because it will cost you and me money if you purchase it that way. Uh, Do it directly on Cameo's website at cameo.com and you will save money and I will be saved money. So do it that way, the preferred way, if possible. And um, yeah, I think that, you know, hope everybody a good Labor Day. If you are in the U.S. and celebrated this past week and here we are, you know, summer unofficially over. It's amazing. Just blew right by. And hopefully we're on the other side of this pandemic soon and we start talking about concerts and appearances. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm I'm sort of done with virtual. (laughs) I'm ready for real. That would be nice, you know? But hopefully we're getting closer and closer to being on the other side of that. All right, so like I said, the interviews are quite long and there's two of them this week, so let's get right to them. Coming up, we'll start with JY of Sticks. We'll follow it up with Richard Williams from Kansas. That's what we have for you on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Uniform professionals sign up to serve causes greater than themselves. If you've ever served in the military, law enforcement, firefighting, or frontline medical communities... Check this out. You are eligible for free membership at GovX.com, the greatest online shopping site for Americans of service like you. And boy, do we appreciate you, especially now. Your job demands a lot from you, from deployments to long shifts and the dangerous situations most people don't have the courage to face. And there's a reason why GovX believes service-minded patriots like you deserve special recognition. And man, do you ever. I've said it many, many times, you folks are the real rock stars. And GovX.com delivers the deals on all the gear you need for your on- and off-duty life. Register at GovX for instant access to discounts on epic brands like Oakley, Yeti, Garmin, Vortex Optics, Benchmade, Danner, and more. This site was built exclusively for the men and women who serve our country and communities. That's why every month GovX supports nonprofits serving the military, first responder, or law enforcement communities. We don't just thank you for your service, we honor it. So sign up. It's fast, it's easy, it's totally free. Become a member today and use Trunk, T-R-U-N-K, for $15 off your first order of $50 or more. GovX.com, savings for those who serve. Use my last name, Trunk, T-R-U-N-K, for $15 off your first order of $50 or more. That's GovX.com.
0: This is the Eddie Trunk
2: Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. It's Eddie Trunk with the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Coming up in a little bit, Richard Williams from Kansas. We open this week's Double Dip with the guitar player and the one guy that's been a member of Sticks since day one for nearly 50 years, guitarist James J.Y. Young. Here he is. Enjoy. J.Y., how are you? Good. Great. How's things been, man? You doing okay? You hanging in there in these crazy times?
3: Well, it's uh <laughs> you know, I go back to I uh, I read an article back there's a Hong Kong virus it was back in the late sixties when I was in my teenage years and buddies of mine got in a drive away car went all the way to California, saw Hendrix play t- twice in one weekend at a festival they had at a place called Devonshire Downs, which is now Cal State Northridge, but uh th- three nights of some of the greatest bands that that existed at the time. Uh Hendrix played Friday Night with the Experience, and he got up and jammed with Buddy Miles and uh, Eric Burden on Sunday. And it was just people commingling and and doing all the things people did three weeks before Woodstock in 1969. And I, know, I don't even remember hearing about this Hong Kong virus, which was a pandemic. And I think it mostly is because all the news was really focused on the Vietnam War and getting us out of there and then civil rights protesting, all those other things kind of you know, nobody talked about this virus and somehow there wasn't there was no panic about it that I can remember at all. I vaguely remember it at all. So I mean for me I I don't fear the virus. Uh I'm taking every precaution though because I've loved ones that are dependent on me and, and bandmates that are dependent on me. Uh so I mean we're we're staying happy and healthy and Lawrence Gowan's daughter is a a physician actually and uh She's given us all advice on what to do and what not to do, and uh, she's she's up against it herself on a daily yeah. basis, you know, hands on. Sure. So
2: yeah, and when we, you know, those folks, uh, just the work they're doing is just unbelievably admirable, and we can't forget about them and can't thank them enough. These frontline responders, which I know we're going to it touch on in it was a great second, what,
3: what Lawrence's daughter said to him, she said, "Dad." If I was afraid of sick people, you'd think I would have wanted to go to medical school. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Is she doing that in Canada?
3: No, she, well, she, she worked, uh, she worked, she, she was in downtown LA for a while. She, she was out in the hinterlands for a while. Uh okay. She was, did worked at a, um, a hospital in Chicago and they liked her so much that when she finally got her degree, this was all going through her internship that they, they made her an offer and, uh, if you don't get offered by some place that you've already worked, then you got to go battle into private practice, which is a or, or you know go work in a clinic or whatever. But she's she's she had an invitation to come work at a highly regarded hospital in Chicago, and she's here.
2: Yeah, I mentioned that because obviously uh, for those that don't know, Gowan is Canadian, so I just didn't know she was still there. So, yeah, he, so can't, you... he can't
3: cross the border to see her without having to have a two two weeks of
2: uh, quarantine. Yeah, you know, yeah. So so do you still are you, you're still in in Illinois?
3: J Y. what? Still in uh, Cook County, Illinois, uh, suburbs of Chicago. Grew up in the city.
2: And what, what kind of, as far as the, the virus is concerned, because, you know, this is another interesting part of this, is it's not the same across the country. In, in other parts, this being a national broadcast, I mean, I hear from people all the time, like, hey, I'm going to shows this weekend, there's stuff going on here, and I'm in New Jersey, and for the most part, we're still pretty much locked down. What are, What is the restrictions like in Illinois? Are you able to go into restaurants and have dinner, or are most things open? What's it like well, there? Well,
3: it's, it's been mostly locked down, and... uh there's, you know, when you get out into the Collar counties and beyond into into farmland, uh, you know, everything kind of loosens up. Right. And you don't have to drive more than an hour to do that. And there's, so there's some, some destination restaurants that people like to go to that are far away that are thought to be gourmet. I'm not sure if they be really qualified <laughs> in New York or whatever. But uh, there's places you can go and I think still sit inside. But for the most part, uh, they're they're putting you outside. And uh, honestly, I haven't really gone to one, so...
2: Right. Right. So you, so you've got, um, you guys have done something pretty interesting. You have basically sort of, um, revived for lack of a better term uh, in some way, an album that came out 17 years ago initially, that in my view is a pretty pivotal and interesting record in sticks history. That also, I don't know if you'd agree, was probably somewhat overlooked in some ways, but that album being cyclorama from 2003 is, and I guess you discovered that there was a song on that album that you, of course, sang lead vocals on that was f- pretty fitting for what is going on in the world now, 17 years later. So talk a little bit about uh, this song and this album in particular. The song is called uh, These Are the Times. And again, the album Cyclorama. G- give us, uh, you know, when did it hit you and how did it come to you that it's like, okay, well, I mean, it, it, it might it be a good time story. to revisit this?
3: what what sort of really popped into my head we did two albums for a company called Sanctuary which ultimately was sold to you know another conglomerate another conglomerate and uh, they're not part of the universal family which which we are pretty much at this point in time A&M which is where our heyday was but uh, those records just didn't get get the oomph and, and plus <laughs> classic rock bands could not get arrested at rock radio that played new music in the early 2000s you know that was just forget it and uh, the Brave, but, but it was Brave New World, actually, the the previous album, the first kind of was the genesis of this, because I started thinking about these words fit what's going on so well. Um, here in the Brave New World's Embrace, I watched the parade begin, searching for one familiar face. I wonder where I fit in. Uh, how will I know if there is a place for me in the Brave New World? Those are lyrics Tommy Shaw and I wrote. And uh, Haunting Melody, and I had dear friend of mine who is a feature filmmaker who teaches a, a graduate class um, in DePaul, and has worked with Bill Murray and Bob De Niro and uh, a host of other big name people. And I just, Steve Jones, he's a native New Yorker actually, and uh, called him up and said, Can you guys just put together something for this Brave New World track that's kind of mysterious and whatever, but kind of fits with the, the vibe of a global thing going on? And so I just, I financed that myself because I want to, you know, go on a wild goose chase with the band's money. But ultimately, uh, everybody loved it, and, and then our manager, Charlie Brusco, actually said, you know, that song, These Are the Times, it was from the next record, that one really fits now, so let's, let's now let's, let's, do, let's do, you know, a new video for that one, and that, you know, so it was really kind of a, I got, I started it with the Brave New World, but, but our manager and Charlie, well, Charlie and Tommy really kind of got it moving from there, and uh, and i'm blown away my friend steve did this one as well the video for it and it just kind of it it'll choke you up to watch it
2: yeah i watched the video it's incredibly well done and i i agree and the song is a bit of an epic at almost 7 minutes long and you on lead vocals and of course you have sang lead vocals in the past on sticks record records but not a tremendous amount what what was the always the criteria for you to decide to take the lead vocal in the band was it just a song that you wrote and felt more comfortable doing or how did that process work uh well, for, for you yeah, deciding I mean, pretty to much sing throughout
3: you know i would we would write songs that that we could sing and would sing and uh and then when time came in like the song like Snowblind, i i wrote it one way when i brought it into the band and uh <laughs> in my version it kind of uh, the The beginning of the mirror, mirror on the wall. I mean, that was that was that was there. That was me, all me, coming up with that. Uh, and then I had to kick it into like an upbeat heavy rock song, and uh, and then I said, why don't we want to try and do something different with it? And Tommy kind of went along with that, and so that's when we got that six eight kind uh, of, whoo, 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 and then to, and then kind of Tommy came up with the lyrics with that part, and uh, so it it you know it it just it, Pretty much the people that kind of wrote the lyrics pretty much sang things, but there were certain things that just knew that the other guy was going to do a better job on it. And uh, so that's, but for the most part, songs I wrote, uh, I sang at least some lead lines on them.
2: And this song and the video, I know you're dedicating to, to the first responders and frontline workers for the coronavirus pandemic, right? Oh, yeah. Yes, so it's very much done with them in mind and as a nod to them.
3: Well, I mean, they're, they're, I'm just, I am astounded and, and um, breathless just to, to thinking about fearlessly how they go out there and do their jobs, not knowing what they're going to run into, but believing that they can, they can make whatever they see better and that they will survive and to, to do it again the next day. That's, that's God bless those people.
2: Yeah. No, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and, uh, James, talk a little bit about the relationship with sticks and the city of Pittsburgh, because I know the Steelers have adopted renegade that they've decided that they play during, you know, certain moments in their, in their, uh, in their games. What do you know about all that? And I know you're doing some stuff, some stuff specifically for a fund there, right?
3: Well, we were trying, you know, we were trying to look for some way to, uh, to to raise money for a good cause, to, to tie this this piece of music and this new video that we put to it to something that meant something somewhere. And the city of Pittsburgh is uh, kind of, you know, I don't know if there was ever any really great intention uh, for them to adopt or renegade it. What happened was, back in 2003, the Steelers were down uh, a field goal or something, and they were making a defensive stand near the end of the game. And there was some younger people that are in charge of putting the music on the P.A., and uh, I'm talking about people that are much younger than me. They're probably may, but they're probably born when Renegade came out. But but it was actually I think the the, the young fellow's wife that said, "Why don't you put that song Renegade on by Sticks?" And and the crowd, we were, the song was very big in Pittsburgh when it first came out in '78. And I'm ever grateful to the guy that was programming DVE at that point in time, John McGann, who was a dear friend of mine and the first man first person i know to die of aids back in the early 90s but he he pounded that song like crazy in pittsburgh so it's kind of part of the fabric of that city and and when it, it, the crowd went crazy when they started hearing it and the steelers came back to win the game so it's it's kind of it, it there's this incredible folklore that all of a sudden was un, you know i we had nothing to do with it it just kind of happened and our manager who grew up in Pittsburgh was a, was a huge fan and kind of connected has friendships with the Rooney family, what have you, the owners, owners of the team. And, and, uh, and the team has just embraced us, even though uh, I'm the only one that still lives in Chicago. And uh, uh, they've embraced us certainly like the, you know, like the Chicago bears, I love that team. And I know a number of people around the 85 Super Bowl team and had met Walter Payton and so on and so forth. But the, uh, yeah, it just kind of it just kind of happened, and and you know if if, if a city says they love you, and you're uh, an entertainment organization, uh, this is a phenomenal thing. And uh, yeah, we did the hard work in the in the first place, but it was just crazy circumstances combined. And uh, we get to sing the national anthem there from time to time, and may uh, get a chance to do it again this year with with nobody in the stands. But
1: yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it's always interesting to me how song, songs, certain songs, uh, just on their own, end up becoming sports anthems. "Renegade" not something you, you know, song been around forever. Amazing song, great song, but not something you would immediately think of would have this whole other life as a sports anthem for for a team. But and then they just become so ingrained with that team. Like you, you watch a game now and you you hear, I mean, every game you're going to hear "Crazy Train." By Ozzy, or you're going to oh, hear right. Enter Sandman by Metallica, yeah. and you're like, yeah. "How did this ever like happen?" I think it's like there's a lot of superstition in sports. I think there's a lot of copycat amongst the people who program the in in stadium music. And I think once people hear like, "Okay, one person doing it," uh, the crowd's reacting to that, and then it just becomes this sort of domino effect. Even if yeah. the song and the content of the song doesn't really have anything to do with, you know, sports or, or playing. So I think it's, I think it's a really interesting phenomenon that happens and it can happen like 30, 40 years after the song's been around, which is the case with Renegade.
3: Um, you know, I've, I've come to realize that (laughs) a career in the entertainment business is (laughs) uh, defies, you know, predictability. And you just do the best you can every day. And you know this from how long you've been in the business. You do the best you can every day. And some days things go just right. And someone picks up on something you said, and then it blows up into something. And all of a sudden you find yourself more well-known or or more in demand and what have you. And, um, the key is to keep putting one foot in front of the other, no matter what sort of obstacle they're in front of you, because you have no other choice, basically. And, uh, you know, if you you have to love what you do and I know you love what you do and I love what I do. Yeah. So that's why we're still here annoying the public.
2: Yeah, for sure. I couldn't have said it better myself. Hey, so <laughs> let me go back to this Cyclorama album that that the song we were talking about, uh, these are the times yeah. comes from. So the album is now available we should let fans know as well. It's now available for the first time digitally. Is is that a byproduct of the fact of what you talked about and I remember that label you were signed to quite well. Did a lot of work with them back in the day. But was was that a byproduct of it just sort of being hung up in some sort of legal thing that you couldn't get it out to the streaming services?
3: Well, I think it was it was not the focus of what we're doing now is writing new music and what's happened, you know, to our catalog from 15 years ago are in the hands typically of, of business people more than they are in the hands of, of artistic people or creative people in a way. But uh, we, um, you know, it just was, uh, it was available on CD, but, but the streaming services didn't exist then. Right. And so all it's, 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 it was digitally available on, on CD. But now, now it's available for the first time streaming. So it's not not a giant, a giant leap in in terms of audio or anything like that. But it, right. it's you know it's now now you can get it on in your phone without having to spend a you know a CD DVD whatever. Yeah.
2: So so what do you like? I'm always fascinated about records that I view at. As, as being Even if they weren't commercially successful, albums that I think were sort of transitional or pivotal in a band's history. What are your recollections about Cyclorama? Because you had said that at that time, classic rock wouldn't touch new music from classic rock bands. Sadly, I don't think that's changed very much 17 years later. It's still pretty much the same deal. But do you think the album was a little bit overlooked? And I also think it's interesting because, correct me if I'm wrong on this, it was your last album with Glenn Burtnick too, right?
3: Yeah, Glenn, Glenn was involved, uh, on two records. Um, yes, the, uh, the Brave New World, the, the two records that I just mentioned that were on Sanctuary, Brave New World. And, uh, well, actually Glenn was actually also, was part of the band when Tommy was, Tommy was off with Damn Yankees in 91. And, uh, and we had our, we had an him where Glenn actually played guitar and, right. and, uh, was not the bass player. So, uh, but Glenn was on those two records, uh, as well. And, uh, I love that man! and I wish him well, and uh, he's a wacko, but he's a talented guy. And uh, <laughs> uh, I met, but, but, met but him actually a- through Jan Hammer, who I did my first solo record with way back when, right after Neil Schoen had used Jan Hammer.
2: Yeah, Glenn's a talent. Glenn's a Jersey guy. I know Glenn, and he's he's super talented. And uh, yep, and he put out a great solo album once on his uh, called Heroes and Zeros that I liked a lot. Uh,
3: but fantastic, but- fantastic.
2: But when you look, JY, when you look at that time and that particular record, is it a record overall beyond this song that we're talking about today? Is it a record that you personally like that you thought maybe didn't get the attention it deserved? Is it? Do you feel it's sort of this undisgu un, somewhat under the radar gem in the catalog, or are you sort of like ah, eh, it was more of a transitional thing and and what have you? What are your thoughts about that that particular record?
3: Well, I mean, honestly, that record and and brave new world which preceded it never really got the exposure they needed for the public to make an honest judgment about them so uh and at a certain point in time you've invested so much time and energy in making a record and putting it out there it's 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 not always someone else's job to do it because the artists themselves have to get behind it and and talk on the telephone like i'm talking to you and um and, and make things happen in their own. They have to put some energy into it themselves, not only into making it, but into making it big. And, and there was just, the, you know, the outlets were there. Uh, I mean, going back to WDVE when, when Renegade first came out. I, the program director had become a personal friend of mine, and and he banged that thing like crazy. But it, was, it got a great response from the city. But we had, I had a friend that was programming the radio station. So, I mean, sometimes that doesn't happen all the time. And and, right. and friends in the business sometimes mean something, sometimes mean nothing, sometimes they go against you even because you know they don't want to seem too biased, uh, you know, or, or this is all, what do you, the, the, you know, you know, in, in any way, shape, or form. So, I, I you know, it's just part of part of the evolution of the band, and um, those are good records, but there was just no way to get traction. With the individual tracks and even music television kind of didn't didn't matter as nearly as much as it did, certainly in the eighties. Yeah, and then in the nineties it switched really to grunge and it was Kurt Cobain and Dave Grohl among. Them. But then again, but you know, but there's also other other things that came around in that time frame as well. And then it and then whatever happens to MTV? I guess they finally shut their doors here recently, but it's a bit, but now now you get music videos everywhere. So it's it's. Uh, it's kind of wide open spaces, and there's, there's. So I don't know. I'm, I'm optimistic about the future, and we intend to do, keep doing what we're doing for some time to come. And I'm no spring chicken. Um, nobody in the band really is. But we love what we do, and, and we've had great concert success. And something about those old songs from the Grand Illusion era and the Paradise Theatre era; those songs resonate, uh, resonating with new generations of people who were not even alive. Which which blows me away, our music from the back then, but it's like some you put on a Who music and they hear my generation or or you know the, put on a Beatles record, put on a Hendrix record and uh, people are going to have to respond to that.
2: Well, I, I've always said, and I, I I really feel strongly about this that it doesn't matter how old the band is. I mean, you you're the sole original member of Sticks. Has been there through everything. Fifty yeah. years now, the history of the band. It's amazing. I, I'm sure you never envisioned. Uh, Fifty years later that you 'd still be doing this band, but i don't, i don 't believe that there 's ever an issue with age. The problem with age comes in when it compromises your ability as a fan that 's how this is how I see it. It compromises the ability for that artist that I love to do it even close to what they used to do. It. Once I see right. the, the cracks, then you know what it 's time just like an athlete to retire, and to me, the yeah. greatest offense is when they stay too long at the party or then they start relying on electronics and what you're seeing isn't even real or isn't even live. I mean, that makes me nuts. So yeah. what, if you can still do it, and my gosh, a guy like Tommy, and Tommy was on not too long ago, what he can still do vocally, I mean, I, I always joke with him, he made a deal with the devil because he seems ageless, that guy. So, But when you're able to do that, and I've seen Sticks recently, and, you, and, and, and you're able to deliver a show that's that's on par with what you did, um, you know, and it's a real show. There's, there's no age doesn't come into the picture. There's no reason for it. You start asking those questions. At least I do as a fan when I go see one of my favorite bands and I walk out of there saying, Oh man, that just was not good. That's just not, or it wasn't real. And that, and that that's even a bigger offense to me. So that, that's how I feel about it. I, I, t- I say to all the bands I love, man, go as long as you want, as long as you can still do it at a reasonable level. And then when you can't, it's, there's no shame in saying, okay, we're done. We're good.
3: Well, um, we've been fortunate to find replacement parts that are (laughs) good as, as good as the originals. And I mean, and Todd Zuckerman, God rest and God bless our original drummer, John Panazzo, who is a beast and played great drums on all those records that he performed on. But, uh, you know, John had some issues and unfortunately passed away, but Todd, at least in some readers' polls, is the best drummer, rock drummer, in the planet. I mean, mm-hmm. that's all subjective, but um, it's that—that's like having a brand new Motor. engine under the hood of this sports yeah. car, and uh, and from there, it's like, <laughs> here we go.
2: Yeah. If, if a couple quick questions, I'm going to let you go. So, if uh, we have a young fan listening to this right now and they have no idea who James J.Y. Young is or Styx are, and they've never heard the band. You have, what album would you tell a fan to get as their first Styx record?
3: Well, The Grand Illusion, I think, is, is, is the most complete thought. Um, and, I, I, you know, people love the songs on there. Come Sail Away was a big hit. Uh, Fooling Yourself, The Angering A Man, uh, a great song. Uh, Miss America, a little bit angry for some people, but a great rock song. That's you know, the rockers' favorites, uh, from what we do. But there's also some 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 cool, majestic sort of pomp pomp in there too. But Pieces of Eight is a great record. Equinox is a great record. Um, Paradise Theater was a number one record, number one album, and uh, uh, those are all great records. Uh, but the mission that we just recorded. Uh some people say they think it's the best sound sticks best sounding sticks record ever. Um, and so we're we're still going after it and uh, the mission's got some great stuff on it and it's a little more varied. Uh we're not we were never one dimensional, but I think now we're even like beyond three dimensional in a way. So um I'd say Grand Illusion in Paradise Theater, if you want to know about sticks in the heyday, you'll get too much time on my hands, which which Jimmy Fallon banged for a week on his TV show. That was the craziest week of Jimmy Fallon I've ever seen. So,
2: <laughs> no doubt. So, so yeah, you think about that period of time. I mean, Adam it's, Sandler. It's...
3: Adam Sandler, you know, talks about us in the movie Big Daddy. And I run into a, a kid at the desk at a hotel in down in uh, Ocean City, Maryland, or wherever the heck it was. And we were we we're going to play some outdoor thing. And then the kid says, oh, "I know about you guys through Adam Sandler's Big Daddy movie." 'Cause my dad watched it all the time and I sat by by him watching and that's how I got to know about sticks and that's how I got to like sticks. So it's thank you, Adam Sandler. Thank you, Jimmy Fallon.
2: You know, you mentioned the mission which is your most recent record. You guys were in the studio for that. I know you put a lot into that concept record and all that. For a band like Styx when you talk about a catalog, you talk about 50 years now of recorded music. This is and just before you came on with me, I was mentioning I heard a new Bloister Cult song and it sounded real good. There are despite how much success it has commercially or how much airplay there is for it, there there are a lot of classic rock leaning bands that do make some really good new music. And then there's others that I talk to that are sort of like, why bother? Nobody cares. Nobody plays it. When we play it live, the the, the place empties out and they go get a beer. There's very differing schools of thought among bands that have long histories about making new music. You, you guys clearly land on, Hey, you know, we're musicians, we're songwriters, no matter what we're going to create and, and, and release new things.
3: Well, I, I credit my colleague, Mr. Tommy Shaw, more with that, because he's really, uh, he's a driven writer. I am not. Um, I, I When I was younger, I was driven, but I, I'm no longer as driven as he is. But he's, he's after it, and uh, he's collaborating with different people, working with different people. And God bless him for it, because, as he says, a writer writes. Uh, I like being a rock star. I like being a, a lead guitar player. Um, I like being part of a, a great band, and I'll... I'm happy to contribute some writing elements or some suggestions to production wise. Um, But I'm just not, uh, uh, I'm just not geared towards sitting down and writing a song every day. And and certain people are, and God bless Tommy for that.
2: Yeah. I had Roger Glover from Deep Purple on my show the other day. And I know those guys quite well. I actually toured with them a couple years ago and they just put out a new record. They've been on a run of putting records out for, you know, a record every couple of years and they literally just put out a new record. And Roger's like, yeah, you know, we're, we can't tour right now. We're already talking about doing yet another record. So there's some, of, and, the, and those guys got years on you. It's, it's amazing that they, that, yeah. that there are some people that are just, that there's this flow and they've got to be in a studio and they've got to be putting stuff out and others that are like, hey, I want to get up. I, I, you know, i laid the framework for what I do. I've got my legacy. I'm going to go play it and have some fun.
3: Well there's all different reasons to do what what I do for a living and uh and I've found you know we we have a happy team a happy balance Tommy and I are different animals but we've learned how to coexist in a wonderful way and um we've saved each other's asses a number of times and uh and the rest of the guys recognize that Tommy and I are at the, the, the core of this. And the original bass player, Chuck, who came close to dying from AIDS, he still comes out and performs uh, from time to time. And uh, he's got his play, playing bass on a couple of tracks on the record. So uh, there's uh, Chuck and I are two out of the five original guys. And, um, and Tommy's thought of as an original guy because he was really there for the, for the heyday right and uh, but Lawrence Gowan was a star in canada and and he's he's phenomenal, and Ricky phillips was was in bad english um we which was like a journey alternative with John Wade on lead vocal in a sense and and ricky Ricky's phenomenal, and uh, Todd we've already talked about, and Lawrence Gowan had number one album himself in Canada, a solo yep. record nineteen eighty four so uh yep. we've we've got we've got a heck of a group of guys and who have seen the peaks and seen the valleys. And I, so I think there's, we're, we're a mature rock band. We don't misbehave too terribly. And, uh, but we love, we love what we do. And uh, I intend to do it till the day I drop.
2: Well, good. Well, you're still doing it well. So there's nothing wrong with that final thing. So, you know, us as fans, we get ramped up about this sort of stuff, but sticks and the rock and roll hall of fame, not yet been nominated Um, but do you, does it bother you like it (laughs) bothers us, the fans, because a band like what you guys have done more than worthy, you have the sales, you have the influence, you have the longevity. I know you have nothing to do with it. You have no control over it, but I'm optimistic because I am now finally, you know, journey finally went in. Uh, Deep Purple finally went in. There's some bands that have been long overlooked and snubbed. Do do you do you does it weigh on you at all? Do you ever think about it, or is that just a fan uh, you know, thing? It does and it's not
3: like weigh on me at all. I personally know the people who are at the center of the selection process, and I may have pissed them off at some point in time.
2: Is uh, that right?
3: Because they <laughs> pissed me off, and uh, and so I, I may be the thing that's holding us back, but. You know, honestly, in the hearts of our fans, just two other Chicago-area bands, because I'm a Chicago-area guy, you see Chicago, which was huge back in the day when Hendrix was alive, and Hendrix was hanging out with them, they're hanging out with him, Uh, but Cheap Trick comes along 10 years later, has sold not nearly as many concert tickets, not nearly as many albums, Cheap Trick and Chicago go in in the same year. I love, I love, I love cheap trick. Robin Zander was in a band with my younger brother. And when I see Robin, he goes, J.Y., your brother fired me. I said, well, yeah, he did. So um, maybe not the best move my brother made, but God rest his soul. But you know, it's, to me, it's, it's, there's so few that get in there. And I look at the NFL hall of fame. I look at the baseball hall of fame. There's so many players that deserve truly to be there in my heart and aren't there. And I go, but it's it's human beings making selections and their bias is going to enter into it and so i i don't i don't worry about it i don't even you i do, don't even think about it
2: do you do you feel sticks deserves to be there
3: oh based based on who's who's gotten in there and who yes we deserve to be there of course right um and i've got i've got a million i got 5 million fans to back that up but it's uh you know, I, we don't sit on the selection committee, and uh, they try to keep a balance between all different types of rock music and male and female artists and what have you. And uh, I wouldn't want. And wouldn't all sorts of non rock
2: music, too. I mean, that's part of the thing. Too. You know, it's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in name, but we've now seen clearly it's not just rock music.
3: Well, I mean, there's blues. You've got uh, Paul Butterfield Blues Band got in. Like just recently, right, there's R and B,
2: there's hip hop, there's pop, there's yeah. all sorts of stuff going on now. Yeah,
3: yeah. I mean, I'm I'm excited. Uh, I'm friends with Bo Diddley's family. The first LP, vinyl LP, I ever bought was Bo Diddley's A Gunslinger. He's he's being. I mean, he died a few years back. Fortunately, I met him just before he died. But I'm, now I'm friends with his family, who grew up not that far from where I did on the south side of Chicago, and uh, and bow's being inducted into the. State of Mississippi Hall of Fame, along with Jerry Lee Lewis. So that's going on, uh, actually, tomorrow. Oh, wow. So, so I think Bo Diddley's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm pretty sure of that.
2: Yeah, yeah. he absolutely should be, that's for sure. Well, yeah. we'll see what happens. You know, I wouldn't give, no. regardless of who you pissed off, I wouldn't give up hope, because... You know, there, there were people on that voting panel or that nominating panel for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame who, who at times made a point saying, as long as I'm on this panel, Kiss is never getting in and Kiss ended <laughs> up getting in. So anything yeah. is possible if they were able to break through. And I'm, I'm pretty, and I'm a voter. I'm not a nominator, but I'm a voter, but you'll have my vote in 10 seconds if you guys show up on a ballot. Cause I think it's a, you, a band like you guys, a band like Foreigner. Uh you can make a case for Boston. There's so many bands from the 70s as you said you're in good company. You don't need it to validate your career. All fans know that. You you've made your mark, but it is I think it's a a great something that's been greatly overlooked.
3: Well, I appreciate um your encouragement and uh but it's not going to keep me awake tonight.
2: No, nor should it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> jay White, it's great great hey, talking to you, man. Great talking to you as always. <laughs>
2: All right, and again, check out, you can hear Cyclorama now, finally on the streaming services, and check out that video. The video is called These Are the Times, JY on lead vocals from the 2003 album Cyclorama. You can see it on the band's YouTube page, but it's the the lyrics and the video more timely than ever in 2020, despite the fact that it's uh, 17 years old. Best to the family. I hope to see you soon in real life, man. Take care, okay?
3: You got it. Thank you.
2: My thanks to JY, another classic 70s artist interview for you coming up next on the eddie trunk podcast we will visit with richard williams of kansas this This is the eddie trunk podcast America's ready to get back to work, but to win in the new economy, you need every advantage to succeed. Smart companies run on NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. With NetSuite, you'll have visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. Everything you need all in one place. Whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in sales, NetSuite, is the way to go, folks. Yep, because NetSuite lets you manage every penny with precision. You'll have the agility to compete with anyone, work from anywhere, and run your whole company right from your phone. Join over 20,000 companies who trust NetSuite to make it happen. NetSuite surveyed hundreds of business leaders and assembled a playbook of the top strategies they're using as America reopens for business. To receive your free guide, Seven Actions Businesses Need to Take Now, and schedule your free product tour, do so at netsuite.com slash trunk. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash trunk. Get your free guide and schedule your free product tour right now. netsuite.com slash trunk. That's netsuite.com slash trunk.
1: This is the
2: Eddie Trunk Podcast. Eddie Trunk here with you on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. As I was saying earlier at the top of the show, if this was 1977 or 78, uh, this would be like the biggest podcast in history with a member of Kansas and a member of Styx. We go now to Richard Williams of Kansas talking about their new album and a whole lot more. Enjoy.
1: Richard, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm
2: very good. Thanks. Thanks for making some time. I got to tell you, just uh, during the commercial break there, I was just talking to my producer, and we were both talking about how great this new Kansas music sounds. Uh, The album is called The Absence of Presence. It's finally being released tomorrow, but... um, just sounds phenomenal. Just sounds exactly like you'd want classic Kansas to sound. Talk about making this record, Richard. Because I know that you guys have had to sit on it a little bit, right? Because of the pandemic.
1: Well, yeah, it's you know things in the manufacturing end get a little bit held up. You know, the record company's out of Germany, and you know parts are made everywhere, and it it has slowed it down a bit. Um, like I know it's it's new to a lot of people, but. Uh, I was done cutting my parts last August, <laughs> so oh, wow. I've been more than ready for a really long time for this to finally get out. Yeah, I know. Um, this, we're this really in... looking forward to, to yeah, well I was, I was, gonna,
2: I was just going to say, this yeah. interview we were supposed to do on three different occasions, and I know the label came to me and said, can we move it a little bit, because the release date was getting moved a little bit every time.
1: Yeah, there's, there's always some little chink in the armor with... Uh, Something happens wrong, and then the COVID throws everything off, and then there's something else. It's, we had it delivered on time, but then once you set up your hands, you just never know.
2: You know, the interesting thing about uh, a band like Kansas making new music is the fact that your fan base, and I, I have a, you know, I've had a chance to see you guys. Uh, I didn't actually uh, talk to you, but I saw you play a few years ago on Cruise to the Edge, maybe two, three years yeah. ago. And um it was a it was a great performance. It was the first time I saw the band with Ronnie singing, who did a you know phenomenal job. And you have such a, a passionate fan base. There would be a lot of fan a lot of bands that have had careers of 50 years or what have you that would not even think of making new music or certainly even be put the time and effort to make new music of this quality because they'd be like, well. All they want to hear is, you know, dust in the wind and carry on Wayward Son anyway. Let's just play the hits. Talk about Kansas even making new music and why that's important to a band with a catalog like yours.
1: Well, I understand what you just said. Um, But what you, what the unsaid thing is, I mean, we understand the realities of the record business today. Back, you know, in the late 70s and early 80s, going gold was not that an unusual of an occurrence for about any band that gets some radio play. It is so rare in these times. And so, A, there's no money in making a record, although the cost of making one hasn't really changed. So it's not like, well, we'll make a record, make a bunch of money, and then maybe we'll tour some. Uh, it's not that way. So. So why are we going to make it? And a lot of bands say, well, you go to the trouble because people just want to hear the hits anyway. I understand that, too. But I think the missing thing for us, for sure, is the need to be creative and the joy of taking out of thin air, creating an album, uh, the excitement of all of that. What can we do next? It's kind of scary um because we have a legacy to live up to you know are, are we done you know all these uncertainties and you can start going to work and you start creating and things start coming out uh, that 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 process is pretty amazing and so it it's really feeding that creative edge of 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 this band and it keeps us feeling relevant to, you know as musicians um, we're still creating. We're not just a jukebox regurgitating. Cause that regurgitating because that and that's fine too. But you have to have to, well, it while, can get a little stale. Um, you feel, it makes you just it makes you feel better about what yourself and what you're doing to just be, to continue to create. Um, sitting back and admire. You know, you're a painter, and you say all you do is admire what you once painted. Why don't you don't paint anymore? Oh no, I just like looking at what I've already done that's not really a painter anymore. Um, And so this is just part of the process of being in Kansas is to not only play what you have done, but to continue creating and evolving. So that was a very important part for us.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I, I think it's wonderful that you do it, especially when you make music of the quality of what this record is, which again is out tomorrow. Uh, you've got three music videos and and songs that people can hear right now on online. Uh, jets overhead, memories down the line, and throwing mountains, which is just phenomenal. Six and a half minute piece of music, uh, so people can get a sample right now of what this record's about. And and again, I was floored by it. And I, you know, Richard, as a guy who who grew up with a lot of great rock in the seventies and eighties. I love when those artists make new music. I look forward to it. I respect it because they are still trying to be creative. Like you said, just for me, uh, having been in radio and broadcasting all my life and, and getting the word out about this stuff, uh, it's, it's maddening when you see what a short lifespan it has and how few of the hardcore fans who profess to be big fans of a certain band sometimes don't even know the records out. But I, I sense that's different with Kansas fans, having seen you guys recently. It seems like they are are way more engaged and connected with everything you do. Does new music go over with them pretty well when you play it live?
1: Well, it, it does, because most of the shows we've been doing um, in the last, oh, three-plus years, we were doing the Left Overture 40th anniversary, and then the Point of Return 40th anniversary. Well, those overlapped years, and so... Those shows were already bringing into uh, the venue hardcore Kansas fans that knew they're going to be hearing a lot of deep cuts, and so it's not like playing at a state fair when people are wandering by, going, you know, over by the funnel tent, funnel cake tent. There's a combo. <laughs> Let's go see who they are. Right. You are at, people are actually buying a hard ticket to come and see you do like that tour. So their ears and minds are open for new material. They they're expecting it. They can't wait to hear it. And so what that was the beauty of doing like the left overture. Um we really started that tour as a vehicle to introduce um the Prelude Implicit. So how we got a new album out. How's anybody gonna know? Because radio's not gonna play it. So how do we get people to know it's out? Well, what if we did a leftover tour for 10 or 15, 20 shows, maybe, in select cities, and then we can play some of the new stuff for the people, and we'll know we'll have hardcore fans there. Well, that 15 shows turn into 100 shows, and then, well, right after that, there's a Point of No Return album, but well, that was a bit even bigger album, so we took the same formula, playing that in its entirety, but it... it just gives us an opportunity to introduce new material. Well, that that we were supposed to be continuing that tour this year, that was going to be our opportunity to perform new stuff from the absence of presence in front of Kansas fans, and then COVID hit, and the whole world went to shit.
2: Do you still enjoy touring, Richard? I mean, I, I don't I inv- I imagine when you started with Kansas, I think you started in 72ish 73 with with them if I'm not mistaken. Um did you I'll ever envision Yeah, did you ever envision almost 50 years ago when this band came together that you'd be sitting here in 2020 talking about still being, you know, still touring Under and album. promoting a new record?
1: Of course not. Um it, it, it's always really—it's gone pretty quickly. You know, we were in a band called White Clover, living in New Orleans in the winter of '69 and early '70. We were there for about six months, and Jerry Garcia came to our band house one night, and we sat up all night talking. And we sat around the table and listened to this grandfather of rock and roll tell band stories. So they said, "Guy, he's still doing this." I, I, he was, like, 26, and I was <laughs> I was 19. But he seemed like this grand old man, you know, some wise old wizard. It's all relative. I mean, there was no way after 40 we'd, we would be doing this. You know, we would have retired and had a music store or something. Uh, and he'd just keep taking the next step forward and... and once a while you pause and look behind and go, holy crap! I've come a long way. You know, this has been a long journey. Um, it just it just kind of happened. It wasn't a plan, believe me. It's it's horrible. why not? Want, let's do you- tour another year. What? And now we we really don't have it. Uh, this was going to be our biggest year in the last forty, at least. But, you know, a lot we lost ninety shows, and we were firing on all cylinders, had made so many things planned with a new album. Um, there's no plans on stopping now. It's just don't know, we don't know when we're going to start. So retirement is not something in our conversation whatsoever. It's just now we're, we're just in a holding pattern going, you know, when will the world become something sort of normal so we can continue to do what we love to do? it's hard to imagine that football games, baseball games, concerts will never be back you know it's something like that has never happened in this world and it, it will be back i just i really hope i get to be a part of that cuz for me record making records is great and looking at you know back on, and have on what you've done is great but i got in a band to be in a band and to play and be with the guys and you have rehearsals and just everything in that camaraderie uh, is the act of doing it is by far the best thing. Being on the road and touring and seeing places and playing, that's it. That's what, that's what a band is all about for me. Not about talking about it, not about looking at what I've done, but it's the next show.
2: How do you guys feel about the, the progressive rock Tag. I mean, you guys are certainly one of the bands that people point to as one of the early prog bands. And you, like I said, I saw you on Cruise to the Edge, which is a progressive rock uh, leaning cruise. Do, how do you feel about that categorization? Is that something you guys embrace, or is it just something like, "Hey, we just make music, and that's what people call us"?
1: Well, we just kind of do things the Kansas way. It it has progressive moments. It has moments that aren't isn't progressive at all. It's more just heavy rock sometimes there were times when it had almost a southern rock touch Um, you know you start playing more a more rock and roll sound with the violin and it's it tends to start start sounding a little bit more southern rock sounding and so what we've always tried to do is is offer some variety instead of a, a flat line one thing you know between you know softer harder Melodic, more rock, just so every album has some balance and a rhythm to it—a beginning, middle, and end—rather than just you know throwing mountains every song. You know, it's we we're always conscious of of having a of pace in it, and you know, something you need a breather sometimes. It's like, okay, this is a good spot to put this song because you're just bombarded with so many notes and so many changes that you need to just kind of have an easy change to let it all settle. Otherwise it just gets overwhelming.
2: Are you, are you personally a fan of progressive rock? Are there bands that were influential to you that you had heard uh, even earlier than Kansas or, or, or was it just something that the band naturally gravitated to because of all the instrumentation and, you know, not really putting limits on the arrangements or lengths of your songs or or was it something that, you know, you, when you were much younger, when the band was coming together, that was, uh, that wasn't influenced those bands. Well,
1: I think, you know, growing up in Topeka, Kansas, you know, and Kansas, like the world, was lit on fire you know, by the British invasion. But even prior to that, the Midwest was very musical. There was um, roving these like ten-piece soul bands, matching suits, and you know five-piece horn band playing a lot of you know, Motown stuff, and even prior to Motown, and it was very popular. Um, a lot of musicians, a lot of music stores. The British Invasion comes and everybody wanted to be in a band. And when I was in uh, like the mid-60s, I mean, there was a garage band on every block. And everybody, you know, played something, so you get together with your friends and just mess around. Phil Earhart and I were in our first band together together. Um, So we've been together since 1966. Um, And so we grew up playing just the hits of the day. And that was, I mean, everything. Radio back then was Johnny Cash, followed by the Supremes, followed by the Rolling Stones. And then they'd give the Hog Report, and that night they might play (laughs) classical music on the station. It was was just music then. It it wasn't put in the categories so much. And so just playing the hits of the day, you're playing in little clubs and dances and stuff, and you're expected to play those things. Well, as parts start to mutate and stuff, uh, people you play with, they would go to the day job or they finish school, and you would kind of wind up with this group of guys that doesn't want to do those things, doesn't want to just settle for the gig at the Holiday Inn because you don't have to move your equipment. You can leave it there and play on weekends. We really wanted to... Do more than that. But you're still having to exist in the clubs. So we were we started, okay, you got to play the song. Well, that song sucks. And it's about well, the middle section. I hate it. So we started, we had to play the songs, so we started rewriting the songs. Let's add a different middle to it. And that we could at least do it our way. In hindsight, <clears throat> now I realize we're really learning how to be us and turning somebody else's song into a Kansas song. And then you start, you know, almost like a Palmer, uh, Jethro Tull, Genesis, yes, Marconi, so many bands out of, you know, Britain and Europe of uh, that, that second wave of the new progressive music. And it was very eye opening. It's like the box that everything was in with these chord structures and these rhythms and these lyrics and all that, the boundaries were suddenly gone. It's like we can just be what we want to be. And that's, I think, probably what drew us together was all our different, similar yet different influences combined into just a group thought of just we wanted to our goal was to, to actually record an album and break out of the mid, the, the local bar scene and into a, the kind of the larger minor league Midwest, you know, scene. Never dreamed of being in the major leagues at all. We just wanted to make a record. We wanted to make it our way. And so that's kind of how we started was we wanted to be unique to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we cut our teeth on. And... It just kind of kept rolling forward
2: uh, to my rough count there's been about fifteen people total in the band since its history, Of course, you and Phil being the constants um, you, you know as far as the original members still in the band now how, how do you feel the various lineup changes to Kansas over the years have impacted you? Have they been? You know, some people look at that as a negative. Some look at it as a positive, and and say, "Well, that was sort of a reset and a a reinvention at the time, and gave us some fresh blood and kept things moving." I mean, I'm I'm friends with Steve Morse. So I love the two records he made with you guys. Uh, how do you how do you look back on all the different lineups of the band and where you are now with the lineup?
1: Well, um, you had the original six. Um, the last couple albums. There was things were becoming different, and you could, it, you know, again, so much of it's always hindsight, but it was the thing after Monolith. It was the beginning of the end. Just too much has changed. Um, us as people, um, starting off, it was all for all, one for one, going out and conquering cities, and uh, and then some some success starts to happen. Well money changes the dynamic of everything. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the people are starting to buy houses and getting married. And so those things get in. And these aren't bad things. They're just different things. And they, they start to change the dynamic within. We're all growing up a bit to start to take aspects of our lives a little bit more seriously. Some people's philosophies are starting to, to change. And so that's... Solid core unit with with one vision started to kind of just expand, which is again, it's fine. It's not a complaint. It's but for the the most natural thing in life is change. It's always coming. It's always happening. Yet it's the hardest thing that we any of us ever go through <laughs> for some reason is change. And finally, it was just, it was time, and it was it was awful, but. Uh, I guess, you know, we we weren't done. And then, you know, then John Elifonte comes on board. And it was a necessary change to keep things moving. And that worked for a few albums. And Robbie left on the second one. Okay, that's another change, but let's keep moving. Then that all peters out. John's gone. And for a few years, me and Phil were holding a contract but we didn't have a team to put on the field. Mm. But then uh, all of a sudden things come back with, we retool it. Steve Walsh comes back into the unit, brings Billy Greer on, and Steve Morse, the dregs, had kind of weren't working. And so we revamped that. We were all out of the Atlanta area, as was Steve Morse. So then all of a sudden those two albums come, but then there's the Bloody Friday where everybody at MCA Records was fired. And our, in the spirit of things, was just barely released. Well, that killed that band. But we weren't done yet. And so then we weathered what I call the Dark Ages. It it was kind of the interim before classic rock was... started making a a rebound and a comeback. And those were the bus years. We never really liked the bus time. And it was, you know, just years of riding around the country in a bus playing clubs. And I just don't remember anything. Uh, You walk off a a bus, walk into the back of a club, play a show, get back in, ride to the next club. It's just a black hole of memory. (laughs) But, you know, when I do that again, I don't know. Um, I can't believe we went through it then because those were hard times and no money in it. But I guess it was... I don't know how to quit, and I didn't have anything better to do, and there wasn't anything I wanted to do different. And so we just kept taking the next step, and eventually things started getting better.
2: Richard, I wanted to ask you about the documentary done on the band, Miracles Out of Nowhere. I'm a huge fan of uh, documentaries in general, certainly music docs most of all, and I really enjoyed it. I'm wondering what your thoughts were about it and how you felt about having a documentary done on the band's story.
1: Well, it started really with um, Phil and I just in a conversation one day. And I happened to be with my wife. We were in Topeka visiting friends, and just when I get when I get there, I tend to just kind of roam around because I find and I remember an old story at almost at every corner. And Phil called me, and we <clears throat> we talked about maybe doing a book. You know, just you know something. Just to leave for our grandchildren to just re- kind of remember some of the stories. And I said, well, well we we need to do it from here because we said, well, it'd be great if we kind of got everybody's take on it. So let's get everybody back here in Topeka because we can, there's, it sparks so many memories of those times. And, well, maybe it would be uh, an audio book. Well, who would narrate it? Wouldn't going get, you know, Well, we could do it. Well, no, I don't, you know. And so eventually, our former manager, Bud Carr, he got involved with it. He's been working with Oliver Stone for years. And he said, guys, this needs to be a a documentary. And so it evolved from me and Phil's memoirs into that everybody-involved documentary. And really, to get everybody on board with it, because we hadn't all been at the same time in the same room for decades. We were seeing each other individually all the time, but all six in one room. We thought it was very important to get us all together to create this. We went back to Topeka to film it. Um, But to get everybody to to agree with that, there's, how do I put it? Okay. Naughty boys doing naughty things in a rock and roll band. (laughs) It's a pretty boring story that Every band has those tales. Is that the important part of us? No. The the important part was the unlikely event of six mutts from Kansas. Um, Getting a recording deal, the unlikelihood of that, and the climb up the mountain and actually achieving that. We wanted to be a, a story that had some meaning to it, not just dirt. And so we, we we wanted to focus on that successful climb to the top of the mountain, and we, we that's why we ended it there because the rest of the story isn't finished. So, you know, where do we stop this? Okay, well I, then, well then, David Carey left, and it, it starts getting kind of watered down. And we and we wanted it to be inspirational, so we we put it in the time frame of of the original six. And and that's and what the, that's what I
2: was going to that's what I wanted to ask you about specifically actually it's interesting you bring that up because uh, it, the, if anything the only thing about the documentary that I didn't like was I wanted more <laughs> you know I wanted like so I'm like okay there's got to be a part 2 coming because there's a whole other chapter right up till now that could be written for this story so you know maybe it is ripe for a sequel at some point
1: Well by the time there's uh, so much that goes into it in post production I mean so much footage done, and so much editing, and all these things. <clears throat> it's like, do we want to go back through that again? <clears throat> and then it starts getting into some less savory things. Well, why did he leave? And why did? Oh no, he didn't leave. Oh, yeah, oh yes, I did. And and again, that wasn't the you know bands. No, you know, unless you're a three piece like ZZ Top, you can stay. It's pretty easy to keep three guys together. together. Keeping six, a little bit more difficult. And we, you know, we that's just not a part of the tale we wanted to tell. <clears throat> it was coming from nothing to uh, to the pinnacle was was the best story. The longevity is another story, but I don't think was as as interesting. And so we just thought, let let's end it there. It's a good, it's a good stopping point, and then the rest of the career, career continued from there.
2: Well, I urge people to check it out. It's called "Miracles Out of Nowhere." If they haven't seen it, you can get it in a variety of different ways. I know Access TV airs it from time to time, and it's out there in a, a bunch of different uh, formats. So you should absolutely check it out because I, I loved it. I thought it was great. You, you had mentioned earlier, Richard, that you guys, you know, that that period of time with "Point of No Return," "Left Overture," those albums last time I checked or heard were both sitting at around 6 million copies each sold in the U S carry on wayward son, four time platinum single dust in the wind, three time platinum single, just astonishing numbers, obviously numbers that in today's music industry could never, ever even be close to, uh, to being hit. And I'm always fascinated when I talk to artists who have had, albums that have sold those sort of numbers and created songs that are that enduring and that, I mean, to this day, I think those two songs are two of the most played on classic rock radio still today. I always wonder when you were making those songs, did you have any idea that they would become these career defining songs that would be, you know, live on long after you're gone. Was there anything that you could tell us that, that you felt or that went on at the time of recording either Dust in the Wind or Carry On Wayward Son that you knew, was, or anybody in the band, did they know what those songs were going to turn into at the time you were writing them and recording them?
1: Um, well, uh, Wayward Son, was, uh, we, we were in rehearsals in Topeka for you know, putting the album together, Left Overture. And Carry was on a writing streak, But we and we'd been in there working stuff up and getting ready to leave to pack up everything, go down to Bogalusa, Louisiana, Louisiana, at the studio in the country, which we'd recorded the previous album um, Mask at. We loved the studio; you completely get away and concentrate on what you're doing. Carrie walks in. It was the last day of rehearsals. I got one more song. It's like, oh crap. I mean, we just wanted to get on with it and get on down to the studio. Okay, let's give it a shot. And so it was Wayward Son. And the, kind of a raw structure of what it was going to be. Oh, this has got a lot of promise. Okay, so we'll kind of put that in the pile. It wasn't until we really got to the studio and in the assembly line process of getting drum tracks and all these things, but we need to start working on the new song too. Um... And so we, we learned that virtually in the studio as the tape was rolling. So the, the, version that, the version that went on the record is probably the first time we actually played it correctly. Um, and as you're, okay, it's keyboard day, and so you're doing a lot of keyboards on different tracks. And guitar tracks are done. Let's start solo tracks and, and vocal tracks. And this whole assembly of process is happening on the whole album. As it starts coming together and you do rough mixes, suddenly you start hearing for the first time what the whole album feels like, and, and suddenly there was a feeling that on this fourth album we might really have something here. And then hearing the acapella vocals of Waver's Son, you know, so let's let's try that. And there was a unified feeling that we've got a really good record here, guys. Um, that being said, had, we had no reason to think from our past that it was going to explode, but it did. It was a game changer for us and very similar with, um, point of no return. Um, as we were in rehearsals, um, Kerry comes in one day and says, I got a song to throw on the pile. And it was just a, a finger picking exercise that he put some lyrics to. He played it on an old reel to reel tape. It was kind of mumbling the lyrics just, just in the melody to Steve, and boom! It's like Kerry said, "We, we probably won't do this. It's just, you know, it's all acoustic, and we don't do that kind of stuff." But he finished, and it was like Dave Hope goes, "Where has that song been?" And we all heard it. I, That's our next single, and Kerry's like. What Re- really? <laughs> and and we 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 were so confident that that song was going to be a big song for us, and it wasn't it wasn't like it was. What is it reminiscent of? Well, especially at that time, it's not like there was anything like it. It it was was not a rock song. It was not a typical radio song. I mean, it was it was a kind of a timeless. Folk song, if it, if anything else, and it just it crossed genres, it it crossed continents. Um, big song. <laughs> very fortunate that, uh, Kerry was trying to teach himself how to finger pick and his wife was going, Carrie, hey, that's a that's a pretty little thing, but you ought to try to write a song." <laughs> nah, I, I, we would never do this, and and yet we did. And so, it's <laughs> funny how things like that happen sometimes.
2: Yeah, of course. And Carrie, you're talking about Kerry Livgren, uh, who, who was in the band, of course, at that time and wrote the songs, uh, those songs. Um, it is interesting because when you look at Wayward Sun and you look at Dust in the Wind, you know, completely different types of songs in terms of their approach and their structure and what they are. And, and then, you know, with Dust in the Winds, just such a, as you said crossed over to so many different formats and probably brought in such a eclectic mix of fans who would not have even come to Kansas normally be, before that it's a, it's a pretty remarkable thing do you do you worry um are you somebody as as a band i you know i talk to fans all the time on this show it's a big part of what i do and as fans and i consider myself one also you know we get hung up about things like the rock and roll hall of fame and I fully believe a band like Kansas, for a lot of reasons, should be in. I believe there's a lot of bands that aren't in that should be in. Do you guys think about that sort of stuff? Would you, you know, what are your feelings about that? Would you like to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame before you hang it up, or is it not something that's important to you or the band?
1: I, I, I don't want to say it's not important. It would be an honor, of course. But it's not like something that I, we have a tremendous legacy that I'm very proud of. And that is not the, the icing on the cake for me personally, um, for the band, for the fans, I think would be a tremendous. Personally, I don't need it. Um, now for my family, grandchildren stuff, you know, what did Papa do in the war? You know, they could go to Cleveland and see the Kansas exhibit. I think that would be very cool again, but personally, I don't need the slap on the back. I, we, I'm just me I'm a real normal guy and when we, I, we li- I leave it on the stage we're done and I I mean I don't think about I'm Richard Williams the guitar player for Kansas all day long it's just it's just what I do and I'm reminded of that when I pick up a guitar or when we're getting ready for tours or this kind of stuff we're on the road I'm, dur- I'm doing interviews uh, I am not in awe of me in any way I don't but I'm in. I have tremendous awe and respect for what we have done.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you should, as you should, and I, I think that it's you know not enough people talk about. Kansas has one of the really big snubs, I think, and, and for a lot of reasons, and, and the Hall site's influence, it's something that should, and I think is probably, you know, when you see them starting to let in some of the bands, or put some of the bands at least on the ballot that they have recently, I think it's something that I wouldn't be surprised if we see come around sometime in the, in the very near future, and on behalf of the fans, because it's really, I know, more of a fan thing, uh, I think that... Uh, You know, it would be wonderful to to see Um, before we wrap up, Richard, is there anything else that you want to tell people? I mean, I know for artists right now, it's a tough thing because yes, you have, you guys have a new record coming out tomorrow, but it's limited as to what you can do to promote it because of course you'd like to be out on the road playing it. Um, But is there a timetable? Do you guys have any shows on the books or are you just riding it out like everyone else?
1: Uh, writing it out, uh, this year has been moved to next year, basically. Um, but as as the weeks click on, I'm not seeing much change. Um, very hopeful. We're 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 ready to go, but do we just uh, you know will next year happen? That depends on a lot of things, a lot of unknowns. So I I tend not to dwell on on it too much. I'm just hopeful that it will. Um, I've been on the road with Kansas for 47 years and it's the greatest job in the world and at the drop of a hat we don't get to do this anymore it's uh, it's a stark new weird new world to have it just the rug pulled out from under you but I'm not telling anybody listening anything they don't already know I think the only comfort in any of this is that we're all in this boat. (laughs) If this was just happening to me, I I would piss and moan and complain. But we're all really in this together in a strange new world. Um, Without God's sake, you know, let's get get this thing figured out and get back to some form of of normalcy. Um, There's just too many... Again, it's hard to imagine... A world where there is no more music. There's no more live performance. I just refuse to believe that that will. I remember back when there were these things called bands and they played music. That's. It's going to happen. I just hope I still get to be a part of that. I hope it's it's you know relatively soon, and you know for music is such a. uh, Kansas fans. Um, I have met so many people that have become friends from all parts of the world, all around the country, that have come together as what is called wheat heads. Um, And they have, outside of the concerts, outside of going to shows, they have their own network, their own friendships. They do things together. They, they you know go to places together. They meet up together. We're not even there. And we've created this whole family. And I'm just in awe of that. And I, uh, I really want that to continue and to grow. Uh, you know, I have so much respect and love for these people. And I hate to see it taken away from them, too.
2: Yeah. So well, ho- you know, hopefully... Yeah, well, I think I'm optimistic and and trying to be at least and I as a fan, I miss seeing all the great bands out there, and it's a big part of what I do as well. So I, I hope it comes back, and I know everybody's struggling with it in a variety of different ways, but let's hope there's you know better better things ahead sooner than later. Richard, congratulations on the record. Again, the new Kansas album is out tomorrow, everyone. It's called The Absence of Presence, and I'm being very sincere. I'm telling this to my audience. If you were ever a Kansas fan, this material is just stellar. It's a great-sounding record, and uh, I wish you all the luck with it and I hope I get a chance to see you and the band playing it live somewhere really soon. Um, best of luck with the album, and we'll keep an eye on things, and hope we'll be having you on soon talking about a tour announcement or something.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time.
2: You got it, Richard. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Well, enjoyed that conversation as well. Check out the new Kansas album. It's out there right now. Thanks to Richard Williams. Thanks earlier to JY from Styx. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you to Katie Irizarry. She is the producer of the Eddie Trunk podcast. Visit me on social media at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, where I am most active. But there's an Instagram page, a fan page on Facebook. And, of course, the official online home is eddietrunk.com. Become an all-access member of that site, and you can hear my FM show on demand anytime you'd like and be sure to listen to me every day on Sirius XM volume 106 trunk nation live two to 4 p.m. Eastern time talk and rock with you. That's where these interviews come from. And of course, nightly replays 10 to midnight Eastern on demand anytime you want on the Sirius XM app. You guys have yourselves a great week. Hope to catch you on the radio for trunk nation. And if not, I will catch you back here next Thursday for another all-new episode, Podcast One, Spotify, and, of course, Apple Podcasts. Have a good week, everybody.